What I want to do in this half hour is two things. I want to understand the technicalities of, a, of medieval interpretations of a very obscure Talmudic passage, and I also want to understand the implications of those technical interpretations. Uh, I want to, in the, doing that, I want to look at the shared parameters of Sephardic interpretation, a scientific interpretation of the Talmud passage, and note the chain or the line or the history of interpretation, the unfolding generation after generation, earlier scholars quoted by later scholars. I also want to assess the interpretations. Number one, locally, what they do, what, they, what do they accomplish within the context of the Talmud passage? The Talmud passage is out to accomplish something, do they actually do that? And in the larger context, how really, uh, how organic they seem in their interpretation of the Talmud passage. That's also another factor. I want to open that up a little bit in the question and answer. I also want to assess the differences in interpretation. Was there a progression? And think about the broad social functions of the existence and the progression of these interpretations. But before we get into that, I want to look at this uh, diagram or illustration. So th this is the sun. The earth is right here. And what we have all around are different phases of the moon. Now I have to spend a couple minutes on this. When the, between, when the moon is aligned from the earth, and you can directly align the moon with the sun, that's called the conjunction. At that time, since there's always one half of the moon that's facing the sun and another half of the moon that's away, the dark side of the moon. Now, depending on where the moon is in relation to the earth, those on earth will be able to see either just the dark side of the moon, which means they'll see nothing pretty much, or they'll see the, they'll see the entire illuminated side of the moon, or they'll see something in between. They'll get a slice of a little bit of each. And that's depend, that determines full moon. Now, if everything were flat, you would have an eclipse every time there is, the, the sun would be eclipsed every time there is the conjunction. And every time there's the opposition on the other end, then, uh, then you would expect also that the earth would block the sun from reaching the moon. But since it's not flat, that doesn't happen very often. It happens occasionally. And when they can all be lined up, in three dimensions. When that happens, measurements can be made and determinations can be made. And we'll see that Isaac Israeli feels that those measurements are very important. He uses them to determine various things. We'll come back to this image throughout to illustrate. But first I want to look at the obscure passage in the Talmud. So Samuel said, this is Babylonian Talmud, Samuel said, I am able to arrange the calendar for the entire diaspora. According to Isaac Israeli's interpretation, what was bothering him is that uh, the, uh, the, the calendar was determined on an ad, ad hoc basis in the land of Israel by the great court. And people who were too distant to find out on time for the festivals what determination was made was the month of 29 days or 30 days was the year that was an extra month added into the year had a problem. They would end up celebrating their festivals on one day off, a month off, various problems like that. But he mentions one day off. He says that was standard. It was normal that they would celebrate their festivals one day off. That was okay, but it bothered them. They didn't like that. That's Isaac Israeli's interpretation. Now, 
Abba, the father of Rabbi Simalai, said to Samuel, who claims that he can arrange the calendar, does the master and the honorific Samuel, in other words, know what we learned in the Sod of the Ibor, which either means the esoterica or the council, certain teachings that were passed along about the calendar, the Ibor. And the teaching is if the moon was born before midday or if it was born after midday, and Samuel had to admit no, whereupon he was told, since the master does not know this, there are other matters that the master does not know, and therefore you are not qualified to make your calendar for the diaspora. When Rabbi Zera went up from the Babylonian academies to the land of Israel, he sent word back to them, in other words, with some information about how to do the calendar, back in Babylon, then he, uh, this is the following teaching. There must be a night and a day of the new moon. Now, I just want to focus on this for a minute. When we say a night and of the new moon, means from the time of the conjunction, there is a, still a certain amount of time after the, after the conjunction is over, when they start separating, that you still will not be able to see the, the, the new moon. So the old moon is when before, right before the conjunction. There'll be a certain amount of time until the conjunction where you can't see the moon. And then anything, you won't be, not even a crescent. And then equally parallel to that, there'll be on the other end, after the conjunction, which is considered the new, the, the new moon, there'll still be a certain amount of time when you won't be able to see even a crescent. And so he's teaching that, that uh, how long do you need from the conjunction until first visibility or first sightability, the first possible uh, possibility to decide anything. He's saying that you need, and this is Roman numeral three, a day and a night, a night and a day actually. So that, in other words, 24 hours. 24 hours you need for this visibility from the conjunction, that means leading up to the conjunction, you also need 24 hours, which means there'll be a total of 48 hours in which it will be impossible for anyone to sight the, the moon, the old and new together. Now, we, in the Roman numeral, numeral four, these are my own numbers, we have a statement by the editor. This is the meaning of the statement of Abba, father of Rabbi Simalai, which we saw earlier, that he said to Samuel, if the molad occurred before midday or after midday. We, indeed, we calculate the molad. And if the new moon was born before midday, that means the molad occurred, the conjunction, in other words, occurred from midday, it is known that it will be seen close to sunset. Just a second. How long is there from midday to sunset? Six hours. So he seems to be saying that the process from the conjunction, molad born until first visibility, is six hours. And he's saying this is the meaning of the other statement, which says, sorry, with the other statement that says that it's 24 hours. So how does, how do, what is that supposed to mean? Six hours equal 24 hours? Okay, now uh, we have got to the, uh, then we have the question, what is the practical, what practical difference do we derive from this? Rabbi Ashi said, for confuting witnesses, if they're doing ad hoc, Measurements anyway, who cares about all these calculations? Well, he says the, the reason that we have to know, because we have to know if the witnesses are lying. If it's astronomically impossible for these things to occur, we know that the witnesses are lying or making a mistake. They thought that the cloud was a new moon or something like that. So, we, so actually, even for an ad hoc calendar, when their witnesses accepted, we, have to have, we have, need a mechanism of cross-examining and, and confirming. Now Rabbi Zera comes up with his statement. And he says that Rabbi Nachman said, remember Rabbi Zera, we have him again, 
Rabbi Nachman said for 24 hours the moon is covered over, non-sightable, which is actually a third time frame. We already had one time frame that said that we need, in other words, from, from here, from the conjunction until first visibility, which is somewhere around here. One statement said six hours, one said that you need, uh, we had uh, 24 hours, and now we're saying the whole thing from the end of the old visibility to the conjunction, and from the conjunction to the, to the visibility of the moon, you need 24 hours, which means you need 12 hours for each. So we have three different opinions, apparently. Six hours on, on each end, which is 12 hours total, and then 24 hours on each end, which is 48 hours total, and then we have 24 hours total, which would be 12 hours on each end. And then again, we have a further statement, which complicates things even more for us, whoever we are. Six of those 24 hours are of the old moon, and 18 of them are the new, whereas for them, whoever they are, six of, the new, six of those hours are of the new moon, and 18 are of the old, which seems very strange, because we would expect as an astrono astronomical phenomenon that there would just be, uh, there'd be the same amount, the parallel, you know, whatever, the old to the new, and the new to the old should be just even everywhere all over the world. But it seems to be saying that it's not even everywhere all over the world. It's, it's slanted one way in one place, another way in another place. So what does that mean? So just, and again, the question, what practical difference does this make to confute witnesses? Just to summarize, we have one opinion that it takes 48 hours or 48 hours of non-sightability, a day and a night of the new, 12 hours, if it was born before midday, it's known that it will be seen close to sunset and 24 hours. For 24 hours, the moon is covered over. And again, we have the other puzzling statement. For us, this many hours for them, why not 12 and 12? Uh, why does this inequality change with locations? And who are we and who are they? Okay, towards the, res uh, the resolution. So first, what are the ground rules for the medieval Sephardi rabbis for solving or making sense of this passage in the Talmud? So they both say similar things, and I should add that Isaac Israeli not only saw Abraham Bar Chaya's uh, work, but he quotes it, and he quotes a large chunk of Abraham Bar Chaya's work in this chapter, uh, chapter 4.8. Well, first, Abraham Bar Chaya. Neither are we able to say that the law speaks in discord with the way in which things exist in the world. In other words, with natural reality, that it speaks about a matter in a way that is in discord with the world's conduct. It would be seemly for us to establish this law in accordance with the form of the moon's motion and in accordance with what is seen in the world. So the Talmud passage inter interpretation has to be astronomically sound. Similarly, Isaac Israeli, this is a correct explanation of this teaching in keeping with reality and in keeping with the way in which the world runs. And another statement, it is possible, and that means astronomically possible, and it can come to pass. So not only is it possible, but it actually will, will, will work. Okay, now let's look at more detail how Barchaya resolves this issue. And he tells, he speaks not about the average amount, the, the mean, the usual amount of time that we, for non-sightability, I mean, in other words, from, from here to the, to the conjunction and from there until first sightability, but he speaks about the minimum amount of sightability. What is a minimum? Now we find that all those scientists who calculate the moon's motion say that the moon cannot be hidden beneath the sun's light for less than 18 equal hours. 
when the moon is moving at the utmost limit of its haste and the sun is moving at the utmost limit of its deliberateness. So extreme situation, you'll have at least 36 hours of non-sightability. With less than this measure, the moon cannot be sightable anywhere in the world. This is so both ahead of the sun and behind the sun. So you need 18 hours on both sides. From their words, you find that the moon is hidden by the sun's light for 36 hours, 18 before. Of them, 18 hours are behind the sun, before the molad, before the conjunction. All 18 of those hours are ahead of the sun, after the molad. Now, since we have seen that sometimes the law gives 18 hours for the new moon, so we're already getting to his resolution. We had the statement 18 and 6. So we're beginning to see how he's going to solve it. Since we have seen that sometimes the law gives 18 hours for the new moon and sometimes 18 for the old one, we have thus come to know that in view of the law, in every single place in the world, the covering over of the moon is for 36 hours. So he's already opening, or he's reading in, or he's cracking open that passage to say it doesn't mean 18 and 6, it means 18 and 18. But what are you going to do with it? But it says 6, so he'll have to deal with that. And we'll see how he does. Let's say now that we have this other statement that also we now have to make sense of. And Isaac is, uh, sorry, uh, Abraham Barchaya quotes and agrees with the venerable judge, Rabbi Hassan, son of the master, Hassan, accepted by Abraham Barchaya, rejected by rabbis Isaac ben Baruch, and also by Isaac Israeli. And we had that statement in the passage that if the moon is born, presumably Molad, the conjunction, happens before midday, then it will be seen by sunset, which implied that there be only six hours from conjunction to reverse visibility. But he says, no. If, he's, if he, takes the, he takes the globe, he slices it in half, and he deals only with the eastern hemisphere of the globe. He said, that is the inhabited region. That's what we're going to deal with here, 12 time zones across, the, across there. So he said, now, let's look at this. If at, so now, and he, now, take a step back for a second. The rabbis, have a, there's a later tradition, they give a certain time. They said, when is the conjunction? When will this happen? Now, obviously, and they say, let's say, for example, the first one happened on Monday, uh, uh, five hours and 204 parts of an hour. Now, obviously, it depends which time zone you're in. If you're in one time zone, that will indeed, it will be that. It's something that happens up in the heavens, up in the sky, at a very great distance from the earth. The earth is not large enough or close enough to say that this, that this phenomenon or this reality will happen at different places on the earth at different times. It happens basically at one instant. So when you say it happened, that this isn't, that obviously we're, we're reifying and we're, we're taking one spot and we're saying this is the place that we're thinking, this is, this is our point of orientation. And at that place, it was Monday, five hours and 204 parts when that happened. And if you go one time zone to the west, it'll be an hour earlier, Monday, only four hours. And if you go more time zones to the west, it'll still be Sunday when that happened. So it's an objective phenomenon that happens at one instant, but depending on where you are, you call it, it was this time when it happened or is that time when it happened. Okay, so now they said that if you are all the way at the extreme of the eastern extreme of habitation, when it was, no, when it was noon, and, and so right before noon, and it happened when, when the molad happened, all the way at this extreme, it was still not noon, then 
12 time zones later, plus 6 hours later, you'll be able to see it. You'll be able to see the new moon at right around, right around sunset, at the other extreme of the, habit, of, of the inhabited world, which gives us 18 hours, which works according to his minimum. He said you need at least 18 hours, and we have 18 hours. Okay, that's straightforward enough. But now, who are, who are we and who are they? And so now, I just have to take a step back. And for resolving this passage, both Abraham bar and Isaac Israeli have variations on this basic theme. We mentioned before that there is an objective moment when things happen. When this, when this happened, when it was aligned, when there's this conjunction, when the alignment happened, that happened at one instant, wherever you were in the world, it doesn't matter. But each place in the world will label that as a different time. An hour earlier, two hours earlier, on their clock. Okay, so, that would, so that when it happens, I, I call that objective time. Something happened up in the heavens, objectively. In the, in, in the, in, so the, I, I say objective time looks at the entire world as a single unified unit. Paying no attention to the entire earth, I should say. Paying no attention to differences in time zones, clock hours, what part of the day it is in different places. In contrast, subjective time focuses on differences in time zones, the clock hours, parts of the day in different places. Was it night then? Was it day there? In objective time, the molad, which he's taking to be the conjunction, and associated astronomical phenomena occur at a single, a single moment in the heaven non-differentiated across the earth. In contrast, those single objective moments in which each of these phenomena occur are in subjective time at different clock hours and parts of the day across the 12 time zones which run from east to west across the earth's eastern hemisphere, which is the inhabited region. We have to remember that. That's the basis for, for resolving these issues. So how does Barchai apply this idea? He says, for 36 objective hours, indeed, the moon will be non-sightable. From the time that the old moon is no longer sightable anywhere till the conjunction, and then from the conjunction, an equal number of hours till first sightability. But in interpreting the Talmud passage, he says, for 24 hours, the moon is covered over. He conflates or he switches between objective time and subjective time. So, and for us, six hours are of the old and 18 hours are of the new, whereas for them, six of the, are the new and 18 are of the old. The author is not, he's not referring to the fact that there are 36 objective, hour, objective hours where anywhere in the, the, the moon will not be sightable. He's applying it, he's referring to the fact that in subjective time, each one of these locations will label these 36 hours differently depending on where the, where the locale is, the local days, local hours. Okay, and his point is that only 24 hours of the labels, of the subjective labels, of the day and hour designations will be shared, will be used in all locations across the habitation, although at different objective times. Whereas the remaining subjective days and hours, well, designations will be used only in some locations to illustrate. So here, we have, uh, whoops. this is the moment of the Molad, right down this middle line. We have 12 time zones, which means we actually have 13 designations, because we have a designation on each end, plus, uh, plus okay. So, and here is where the beginning of non-sightability, it happens everywhere at the same moment in the world, and here's the end. And at the moment we have 1 through 36, all these 36 hours. However, 
these 36 hours will be labeled differently. The first hour will be the beginning of Sunday, for example, just as using an example, the first in the eastern extremity will call that first moment of non-visibility the beginning of Sunday, but to the west it'll actually be an hour earlier, it'll be the, uh, to 23 hours into Saturday, and going all the way down it'll be 12 hours into Saturday. Now, you see there's no Saturday in the eastern extremity. On the other end, this will end the non-sightability will end different places. It'll be one objective moment, an objective time, but that will be labeled differently. So at the eastern extremity, it'll be the, the end of the hour 11, right before the strike of 12 of Monday. Okay, but if you go down here, it'll, there is no Monday. And if we look at which, which designations are shared, it's only the ones that are green here. So just the 24 hours of Sunday will be shared in all locations. However, they won't, uh, that's, uh, so these are taking subjective labels and saying these subjective labels will be shared everywhere, but not at the same time, they will not be shared at the same time everywhere. So the first 18 hours of the process is where in the eastern extremity, these are the first 18 hours of Sunday. That means in, at, at the eastern extremity, 18 hours will be of the old moon, and the rest of Sunday, the rest of the shared 24-hour labels will be of the new moon. Whereas if you go down to the bottom, the western extremity, only the first six hours will be of the old moon, and the rest of the 18 hours will be of the new moon. Okay. So, just to, to reiterate, I, I don't think we need to reiterate, but uh, we'll question why he calls, how he decides who are we and they are, besides the fact that it works for him. Because the Jerusalem temple is in the west, he calls, uh, he, or he says west is, is who we are. And therefore, even though it's not all the way at the western extreme, by association, he calls the western extreme where we are. And, and, and since the east is the other part, so he, oh, he, that's the association for there. Okay, now moving to Isaac Israeli. Okay, he, he again, he, he says... He doesn't speak about the minimum amount requirement, the minimum requirement, astronomical requirement for sightability, but he speaks about the average or the normal, the standard. And he says it is possible and it can come to pass that the new moon of any Tishrei in particular first will be visible in the middle of the land of Israel. So he's focusing only on one month in its utmost state of slimness after the equivalent of 22 and a half hours from the moment of its renewal there. So not 24 hours. In Tishrei, you don't need 24. 22 and a half are enough. And that it is by no means possible for it to be visible there any less than this amount of hours. The reasoning of Rabbi Nachman regarding the non-sightability of the moon at the beginnings of the months is in accordance with the foundation of Rabbi Zera and in accordance with what all the scientists who investigate since times of yore have agreed about it. They said that at the beginning of months, it is a case that the moon is non-sightable and hidden from people for 24 hours, which is the average. Six, six and a half. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, I may need a couple extra minutes. Okay. Uh, okay, so 24 hours is the average. Although he just told us that in Tishrei, you actually need less, but the average is 24 on each end. Okay, now how, how does Isaac Israeli then solve that other passage where it says, seems to imply six hours. It says, if the moon was born before midday, 
it will be seen at sunset, which seems to imply only six hours only from, from the conjunction till first sight ability. When he just said 24, the 22 and a half, so he said born does not mean the act, the real, the true, the actual conjunction. It just means the mean, the average conjunction, which means you have your cycle and you know on average how long it takes, but there are fluctuations. So the molad is the average, the mean, with, and he has a different word for the actual conjunction, the true, uh, which he calls the renewal. So for the month of Tishrei, the molad may follow the renewal by 14 hours and close to approximately 14 and a half hours. So now, what is that place where you say the molad occurs at time X? What is that point of orientation? It's not the eastern extremity. It's not the land of Israel. It's not the western extremity. It's the dead center of the eastern habitation, uh, of the eastern hemisphere. So this means the navel of the earth. So he said, when we speak about the molad, we're saying he actually uses, I think, the tables that Charles will be speaking about, and other tables and his own observation to make an argument to prove that that's the point of orientation. Okay, be that as it may. He says, he said, that's point C, the navel. And in contrast, though, the, the question of sightability, visibility, has to be where the court convenes, which is the middle of the land of Israel, which is an hour and a little bit to the west. So we, have, we need 22 and a half hours. We have 14 and a half plus one and a little bit, which brings us to maybe 15 and three quarters. So close to 16, 17 to 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. So now midday to sunset, we have approximately what we need. He has all the exact numbers that I'm not going to go into great detail now, but he works it out perfectly that just a little bit after sunset on that first day, you will have the exact amount that you need. They're not saying for sure that you'll have visibility, but you have the possibility of visibility. The difference between the real, the actual, the true conjunction, and the mean conjunction, plus the distance between the navel of the earth and the land of Israel, plus the, the six hours from midday to sunset, gives us just, just shy of 22 and a half hours, but you can't see the new crescent when the sun is still up. You need a little, you need, it has to be very dark because it's very slim and it's still, this, the moon will set a little bit after the sun will set. So you have that third of an hour. Okay, now in the remaining little time we'll try to dive into the other issue. The us, who are the us and, and they? And so here is, here is the key here. The D is the Earth, and from A to B, that's the, that's the uh, duration of non-sightability of the old moon. B to C, that's the duration of non-sightability of the new moon. Now, at the navel, uh, okay, when we say so we're orienting ourselves at the navel now of the Earth, A, his example, A is reached at the beginning of Friday, and then the beginning of non-sightability of the old. B is reached at the beginning of Saturday, we have 24 hours, and C is reached at the beginning of Sunday. It's another 24 hours, total of 48 hours of non-sightability. Okay, so the navel is a calendrical point of orientation. Therefore, he reifies its times, he objectifies its times, although those are subjective times. 
then you don't say that the molad happened in objective time. There is no specific time of any day or hour. It just happened in the heavens. And depending on where you are, you'll just label it. But he says, no, we actually reify the one particular point, the navel of the earth. And we say, objectively, for our purposes, this is when the molad happens. Okay. What if you're not at the molad? For us, for example. And he has the opposite understanding of us. For us... Those are the, from the perspective of the Babylonian Talmud. That's the eastern half of the inhabited region. And extending in, indeed all the way to the extremity of, of eastern habitation because in the days of King Shapur, the Babylonian Empire reached that far. Okay, so when we're at the extremity of the east, for us, Saturday begins six hours earlier than it does at the navel. The navel is in dead center. We're not at the dead center. We're six hours to the east. So Saturday began six hours earlier. If at the dead center, uh, you know, when, when, it was, when our Saturday started, it was still Friday, six hours, you know, six hours left in Friday at the navel. So uh, our subjective Saturday contains not 24 hours of non-sightability of the new moon as it would at the navel, but rather we're six hours off. So when that phenomenon objectively happened, we had then, and so when the phenomenon objectively happened, we say, okay, it happened. At the navel, it was Saturday. But when we look at our own Saturday, and we say, okay, then we reify that, we objectify that, and we say it happened on Saturday, in just a minute. But when we look at Saturday, Actually, it was not like that in our place. For us, it was really the old, the old, we had six hours of the old and only 18 of the new. So that's the way that he, then he does the same thing with them, the people or the other end, people of Israel and extending all the way to the West in two different formats. He has two different ways of resolving it. One he actually posits that they would celebrate it a day later because they would do it on the basis of sighting. Okay, we won't get into the details of that, but just to summarize. Okay, so we have, they get very, they get into this technical presentation. I'll just wrap it up. How they actually unpack the seemingly contradictory statements in this Talmud passage which apparently, according to the editor of the Talmud passage, were meant to present the unified whole, and how they use objective versus subjective time in doing that. In the Sephardic interpretation, number one, they want to find inner coherence of the Talmud passage, not to say that there's a hodgepodge of multiple opinions thrown together, but they want to find consistency throughout all the opinions, uh, that the, the subunits are in agreement with each other. Number two, these Talmudic subunits accurately fulfill their function in the Talmudic context, which is confuting witnesses. That you can actually use these sub, if the, you know, they can actually be used, they'll be accurate in a way that astronomically accurate to cross-examine the witnesses. There also has to be outer coherence, which follows from what we just said, that the units of the Talmud passage have to be in agreement with the laws of nature and astronomy. And just the last point before I finish, you actually see a historical progression in the nuance of interpretation. One place where you see this very clearly, I can mention two places, is the differentiation between the mean conjunction and the actual, the true conjunction. 
And another place where you see it is the use that Israeli makes of tables and his own observations to determine where, exact, where exactly is that point, is the objective point that's objective for, for the Molad. So thank you. Okay. We have about 10 minutes uh, time for questions. Uh, which tables does he use to determine the Earth's meridian for the Mulat calculation? Are these the Toledo tables or some other set? He uses various sets of tables. He uses, uh, the, he uses those tables and he also uses earlier tables that were made in Iraq. I'm trying to remember the, the name eludes me, but they're also a very famous set of tables. And he uses his own observation. I'm trying to remember, I, I had, I'd have to check and find the exact name of the table, but, but very famous, made several hundred years earlier. Is it a Jewish source or a Muslim source? No, it's a Muslim source. Yeah, from the city in Iraq. I'm, I'm just trying to remember, it's called by the name of the city, I believe. I, I don't remember offhand, but see, he has these various tables, and he looks at both oppositions and conjunctions, and he figures out the, you know, the, from that, you know, the, the, the time on each end and the exact point, and he calculates backwards, and he said, well, if we have a tradition that the Molot is this time, it couldn't fit to the eastern extremity, it couldn't fit to the land of Israel, then, yeah. I believe if you try to make the calculation based on the Toledan means, is it Egypt tables, then the reference meridian will end up in eastern Iraq, roughly speaking. Could be. I, I, I don't remember the exact point, that, you know. I think this calculation between the Molot and the true conjunction of the Redeem Age by Hebrew and Israel, about, about, about but uh, for some reason, Bar Chaya doesn't bother with it. He just takes Molad and he, yeah. So it is something glaring, but. Uh, yes, the job of confusing witnesses who uh, witness uh, having seen the crashing uh, is uh, very familiar to me from Islamic sources. So uh, this is an ongoing topic and. Uh, uh, there are uh, yearbooks of the sort I showed this morning, uh, where um, tests for test, uh, uh, test questions for witnesses were given, and there were illustrations how the crescent of the moon was orientated at the sky, and uh, the um, astronomers were supposed to ask the witness what kind of orientation the crescent had. So this is very close to what you are uh, showing us here. Yeah, there's in the Mishnah, there's, a, there's an old tradition that in the Mishnah, going back, that there are such tables. Yeah. I, I want to ask a question to the last questioner. Um, are those things pre-Islamic or only no. post? Post. Okay. But there are, of course, there are earlier uh, methods for calculating the visibility. Uh, of the crescent or in, in antiquity in Greek sources. Uh, and, but these are, I don't know for what purpose they were, but um, the methods already Babylonian, I think. And, uh, so the method of um, determining if the moon is visible or not goes far back to the history of astronomy. Can I ask about the original meaning in the Talmudic section? Oh. Um, I mean, did you understand that? I, I assume the Talmud was not aware of 
well, the dateline and uh, the objective versus subjective time. So what would be the context of the original disagreements in the Talmud? Of what? Of the word Molan or of the word? No, no, about the, the number of hours there. Different opinions in the Talmud. You know, it's, I'm, I'm not asking about the Sephardi. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the original meant. But the thing is that there's this idea of that question. A part of the question has to do with what is the meaning of sod. And when we say sod ha'ibor, the word sod can mean counsel, but it can also mean esoterica. And so it could be that there were these traditions, cryptic statements, cryptic traditions. Uh, so what the, you know, I guess he's assuming that that the editor of the Talmud had something coherent in mind, but they're really trying to recover something that apparently has been lost. Now, we don't know. I think they didn't know. And the question is, you know, is, there, is it even possible to recover an objective? Uh, I don't know. And the Talmud is generally problematic because our understanding of the Talmud is always mediated through medieval commentaries. It's very difficult to recover the original meaning of the text. So in one of the, I think one of the key questions that has to be asked on this text is what is their understanding of the concept of the birth of the moon? We, we translate it automatically as molage conjunction, we, we understand it in astronomical terms, but is that their understanding of what birth of moon is? Actually, I don't know. But it's clear that it's not the same as first visibility, first sightability, that's obvious, because they speak about how much time you need from the birth to the first sightability. So obviously it's not that. Yeah, I guess the other chestnut is how to relate those references to the old and new moon in, in these passages to that rule, you know, as Molat Saken or Yach, where we're supposed to postpone the reference date of the new moon as soon as the Molat falls later than noon. So, you know, my, my hunch would be it might be an attempt to synchronize the Molat calculation with Arabic tables which use noon as their day epoch, but there are certainly other explanations. That's a, that's a good point. I mean, that's... I, I don't know the answer to that, but it is obviously relevant to the issue of Mullah Zakain, but how, you know, what, why, how it came to be, so that, why do we have to, have to look into that? We work together on these things, so thank you. Thank you.